Hello and welcome back to Backchat. If you think of the Nature Podcast as a hard-hitting feature-length documentary, then Backchat is the comment section under a YouTube video. This month, what does Donald Trump mean for America's relationship with science? And what impact will he have on the climate? Plus, how does nature do politics? I'm Adam Levy, and our three chatters this week are Jeff Tollefson on the line from New York. I'm a reporter in uh, in New York City, and I cover climate and uh, energy issues for the magazine. We also have Lauren Morello online from Washington, D.C. I am Nature's U.S. news editor. And we have David Adam, who's in the studio with me in London. Hello, and I look after the editorials pages. Coming up in the show, with little fanfare or announcement, the United States of America held a presidential election. They certainly kept that one quiet. And to the surprise of many, Donald Trump won and is now president-elect. Despite his reality TV experience, Donald Trump has been criticised for having a loose relationship with scientific realities. So what does President Trump mean for American research, and how will this affect the rest of the globe? Speaking of the globe, it's still warming. 2016 is projected to be the hottest year on record. The previous hottest was all the way back in last year, 2015. There's been a climate meeting in Morocco this month, but the real climate news is, yes, I'm afraid so, Donald Trump again. If Donald Trump abandons America's climate goals, how will other countries respond? Will the Paris climate deal survive? And finally, after all that talk about politics, we'll talk about how we talk about politics. What does nature's audience expect, and is this actually what we provide? And how do we decide when it's okay for nature to have an opinion about something? So before we turn our attention to the fallout of the US election, Lauren, what was it actually like to cover on the night? The one thing that almost every American could agree on is that we kind of just wanted the election to be over. Um, We certainly got that. I think on the night, I mean, the thing about Election Day is it's a lot of sitting around and waiting. The numbers start coming in around 8 o'clock. And from there on, it's just, you know, it's a lot of math. And you kind of have to know how the state is counting their vote, which precincts report in early. So it's it's a bit of a nail-biter. Well, let's put it this way. We were prepared for a Clinton victory, um, and we were working along those lines. Um, As I recall, I think it was around 9 o'clock when we saw some of the results coming in from Virginia and, and Florida, rural areas of Florida, and that's when we started to get alarmed that, that our game plan was the wrong one. And I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Lauren, I, I believe it was by 9.30 we had uh, completely flipped that story. Right. Yeah, we took the skeleton of the story we wrote and we just kind of flipped in Trump's name for Hillary Clinton's, added in some other additional details. So um, we didn't have a whole story written. We just had a basic kind of lead sketched out. Right. And I think it was around midnight, we already had our first calls. And uh, by about 2.30 or so, it was just waiting for the final call. Uh, The rule was, if uh, we're looking at the Associated Press, the New York Times, and CNN, and when two of the three of them called the race, we would call the race. One of the main ways we've been reporting on it so far has been simply to cover how scientists have been responding. How have scientists been responding? 
Um, I think there's just been a lot of uncertainty, and we knew that going in. I mean, I've got kind of an election coverage planning document here that I wrote in early October that says, you know, if Clinton wins, we kind of know who her transition advisors are. It's a well-oiled system. We think she'll bring a lot of the Obama people over. We can start reporting on how her win might affect specific issues pretty early. If Trump wins, it's just really up in the air. He ran an effective campaign, but it was certainly a very loose one. There's a lot of information coming out, conflicting information. People really don't know how to react. I think that's true of the American public, and it's certainly true of the subset of the American public that are scientists. So I think there's just a lot of worry about how things are going to play out, who's going to be in charge of the various key science agencies, what topics of science Republicans might favor. Because remember, they don't just hold the White House with Trump. They've got control of both houses of Congress. And so people are just still assessing what this means. Which isn't to say that they're not most of them. I think it's safe to say certainly in the energy and environmental arena are are certainly horrified um, at the at the prospect of a Trump presidency. But exactly what that means in terms of what comes next, what will actually happen, who he will appoint, and what they will do, we have no idea. Well, I mean, look. Trump has said that he wants to pull the United States out of the Paris Climate Agreement. He said he opposes the regulations that Barack Obama's administration has put through limiting greenhouse gas emissions. But for other things, it's just not clear. They can roll back these federal regulations, but there's a lot of state activity on climate change. And we're going to have to see what survives and what could be done without the federal government. There are some other issues that have people worried, um, immigration Trump has at times proposed a temporary ban on all Muslims entering the country. Um, and then I think he revised that to say only Muslims from dangerous countries with no real definition of what dangerous means. He's talked about building a wall across the U.S. border with Mexico. And I think that has freaked out a lot of scientists because science in the U.S. is such an international proposition. In some ways, the atmosphere seems a, a bit like Brexit. In that, um, well, British politician Michael Gove, who campaigned for the UK to leave the European Union, declared that people in this country have had enough of experts. Is this part of a general global shift away from taking expertise seriously? There are obvious ties between Brexit and Trump's triumph in the United States. I've talked to people who have basically said this is part of a larger wave in response to maybe globalization, uh, mechanization, inequality across the board. Um, you've got right-wing movements um, across Europe coming up as well. So clearly there are links. But I think the U.S. case is really its, its own thing in, in some ways. You know, you've got these racial uh, questions that are laid over the top of, of the economic questions. And then the fact is, you know, Trump basically primed all of these voters. He played into all of rural America's deepest fears, and, and he won as a result. This is a story which isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. Does that mean we can plan the coverage or are things just so uncertain that even though we know we're going to be talking about Trump for some time, we don't know what we're going to be saying? Um, I think it's a lot like planning the coverage was for me in the run up to the election. There are definitely tent poles. There are things that you know are going to happen that we're going to have to report on, even if you don't know exactly what the outcome is. And then there's some percentage you have to play by ear. We know Trump is going to be nominating a lot of people to run agencies we care about. We know that Trump 
will have the opportunity to nominate a new Supreme Court justice who's going to shift the ideological balance of the court, and that's going to affect some cases that are likely to end up before the court, including a challenge to some of Obama's greenhouse gas regulations. So it's a lot of plan for the obvious stuff and get ready for the surprises. And on the climate side, I mean, we we know that certainly among the first things that they will do is uh, try to pull back President Barack Obama's um, climate action plan. And then there, there are other things. I mean, flaring regulations. Um, there are executive orders. One of them is a moratorium on federal coal leasing. You know, that's something that uh, Trump could undo at the stroke of a pen his first day in office if he wanted you know, so these things we know, the, the bigger questions come about as far as what that means for, you know, the, the U.S. energy trends, the U.S. emissions trends. We have to figure out, you know, what the states are going to do. The states are going to keep pushing renewables. They have, we've got renewable portfolio standards um, that basically require a, a certain amount of uh, solar and wind in 29 states, energy efficiency standards in another 20 states. Um, so it's not like everything comes to a stop. It'll be a matter of trying to figure out, you know, where the market goes. Um, and there will be a lot of research and policy analysis uh, that we can cover in that area. How much can we expect America's change in behavior with regards to climate change to affect what the rest of the world is doing? We got our first indication of what the global response would be at the United Nations uh, climate talks in Marrakesh uh, last week. And... I think it's fair to say, based on the folks that I've talked to, that Trump did suck some of the oxygen out of the air at those talks. What this means longer term is a little bit more unclear. Um, you know, if, if the United States sits on the sidelines, then it might allow other countries to kind of hide behind the United States when they don't have, when they're not pursuing policies as aggressively as they probably should be. You know, that could be India um, for social reasons. It could be Saudi Arabia for, you know, economic reasons. So the U.S. will provide some cover for other countries that, you know, might want to delay action for various reasons. I think it's, it's worth saying as well, isn't it, Jeff, that um, even before Trump came along, the world was an awful long way from having sorted the problem of climate change. You know, even there's been various analyses published that even if the countries did everything they said they were going to do under the Paris Agreement, there'd still be a huge amount of warming. It's, it's a real political blow, I, I think, that the, the Trump and the, the sort of the killing of of the optimism. But but I think some of the optimism w w was pretty um, flimsy in the first place. Absolutely. And And indeed, you could even argue that, I mean, at least we know where we stand with the US and there's, there's plenty of countries where the official line is, oh, we're all for action on climate change, but there's no action to back that up. I think that's a fair statement. Um, the way that uh, David Victor, a political scientist at the University of California, San Diego, put it, is that this is most likely to, uh, to simply negate the United States' leadership on climate at, at, a, at a diplomatic level. When If you're talking about you know, who, who can kind of drive the intellectual agenda. Trump can pull the United States out of that discussion and other countries are going to have to pick it up. Um, but yeah, there's no, there's no requirement that anybody does anything. It's kind of a question of leadership and the U.S. will surrender its leadership role, at least temporarily. But I think it's also important to point out that um, that same thing that you've just said, that, you know, that we weren't far enough along um, under the Paris uh, Climate Agreement, that also applies to the United States. 
And had Clinton won, the environmentalists were ready to put pressure on her and say, okay, now what? What we've got in place so far, the policies that we've got in place, even if they work, they don't get you know the United States to uh, to where it needs to be to meet its emissions commitments in 2050. And the election of Hillary Clinton wouldn't have made it any easier for all of the other countries to do what they said they were going to do either. I think if you were to draw up a list of the 10 biggest uh, reasons why we're not going to do what we need to do on climate change, I don't think Donald Trump would, would even feature in that list. Well, so the most cynical view in terms of the climate policy regime that we've built um, over the last 10 years is that really we don't have any evidence yet that it works, period. Um, you know, the global emissions are still going up. Um, in places where emissions have gone down, there are a lot of factors, um, including in the United States, you know, what's driving down emissions are some broader macroeconomic trends, um, and those are likely to continue. Um, but we don't have a lot of evidence that the, that the policies that are, that are in place yet in the United States or around the world are really having a significant effect. Jeff, you, of course, had even more at stake in this election than many did. And that's because a few months ago, you placed a somewhat reckless bet. <laughs> You had to bring this up, didn't you? Yeah, let's let's hear. My name is Jeff Tomlinson, and if Donald Trump wins, I will eat my backpack, and I will like it. So, Jeff, uh, important question. I think probably the most important question of the day. Have you kept your word? Um, I have not yet. I'm actually looking for a new backpack, and then I will, uh, I will, I will try my best. If Jeff kept his word, he'd be the only person in this sorry saga who did. <laughs> At Nature, we cover a whole host of things that affect research and politics is just one of them. David, is there a sense that for some of our readers, politics is a taboo topic when we cover it? You might get that impression from the reaction that we had to... We've published a few editorials about the US election um, and we published one before the election which explicitly endorsed Hillary Clinton. And... A lot of people would, were even questioning the mandate that a journal like Nature has to, to have an opinion on on, on political questions. Um, well, I think there's, there's a whole load of reasons for that which we could explore. I think the first one is perhaps some of these people aren't aware that we publish opinion pieces every week, um, which naturally fall across the spectrum from the very small matters that directly affect our readers to the very large issues which directly affect our readers. And then I think there's the, 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 the there's a broader question, which is that people think that science should be apolitical. Now, um, obviously, the, 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 the pursuit of science is done in an environment where you try and be free of bias and free of prejudice and free of all of those. The magazine section of Nature does have opinion pieces in it, just like any any other publication does. Um, and my own opinion is that it's it's at best naive and at worst quite dangerous to think that by um, commenting on politics you're somehow sullying or damaging the idea that you can you can still be object, objective on science. We don't do it lightly. They are supposed to represent the voice of of the magazine. Now, obviously, not everybody is going to agree, 
But we do try and give everyone a fair chance to comment and to, and to influence the way the way that they're shaped. This has been a theme for a long time: the the the, the engagement of the scientific community in political discourse. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but I believe we as an institution have, um, on, on, on various occasions, urged scientists to be more engaged in political issues, in governance, in, uh, in advising uh, politicians and policymakers. Um, this applies to issues from climate to, uh, to health. In- indeed. It's just kind of naive not to recognize that science influences policy and policy in turn influences science. I mean, I also think on a more basic level too, so much of science is funded by governments. And where does that money come from? It comes from people who pay taxes. And, and also, it's, it's not enough, I think, for scientists to only engage with politics when they feel the direct interests being threatened. So um, there wouldn't have been any complaints if we'd published an editorial calling on the government to give more money to science. But that is that's exactly the same. That's explicitly um, interfering and, and engaging with with the world of politics. So I yeah I was actually quite surprised by the number of people who who did get in touch and say really not impressed with nature doing this. I was just curious if we've gotten that response in the past. We've endorsed candidates uh, going back quite a while. Yeah, I don't think we have had that in the past. We actually made an animation in the lead up to the US election called uh, Scientist Guide to the Election. You can find it on our YouTube channel. And there was a lot of anger there too. And one comment for me summed up not only that anger, but also how blurred this line actually is between science and politics. So the comment was, stick to science, not politics. Also, global warming is a hoax. So for me, that just sums up just exactly why staying away from politics is dangerous from a scientific perspective because if you don't tackle political causes of disagreement you you never tackle these scientific problems and i would i would prob you know i would hazard a guess that the author of that comment perhaps isn't a regular subscriber to nature i mean the other thing i wanted to point out is we cover politics and policy in the news section every week it's just not normally about presidential elections um i did wonder david actually i think the campaign season here was just so endless and ugly and overwhelming. And I think a lot of people were just tired of it. And I wonder if, in addition to not realizing that nature covered this stuff, they were thinking about uh, journals like us as maybe a place of respite from all the politics news and just then were disappointed to find out that politics was sitting there within the pages of nature where they weren't necessarily expecting it. Well, I suppose so. But I think that's a bit like going to work, isn't it? Expecting the no one to mention it. You know, if you go and work in a laboratory, you don't just talk about what you're seeing through your microscopes or on your computer screens. People will always talk about the outside world. I actually went to a party where everyone was banned from talking about Donald Trump, which kind of like if you tell someone not to think of the word wolf, that's the only thing you can think about. It it wouldn't hurt to also acknowledge that the, the scientific community is now in a bit of a pickle. There were a lot of scientists who had actively engaged with the Clinton campaign. They were advisors. Um, you know, the same thing happened under Obama. The, the bulk of the scientific community was not involved in the Trump campaign. Now here we are, and you've got scientific organizations who are trying to do what they would normally do and reach out to this 
incoming administration and there are no contacts and now like it or not everybody has to work with the trump administration i mean to be fair though i think everybody's having trouble getting through to the trump campaign on this transition i saw a report on cnn this morning that the australian prime minister was able to contact trump because he got trump's cell phone number from greg norman the golfer (laughs) <laughs> which is not usually the way these calls go after a new president is elected here. Well, that's quite enough talking about how we talk about politics for this month. And we'll be sure to talk a little bit less about Donald Trump in the next back chat. Not that we're taking the stunt that he's not important to talk about. But thank you, Lauren Morello, Jeff Tollefson and David Adam for joining me. And do let us know what you think of the show. Tweet at Nature Podcast, send an email podcast at nature.com or pop a few stars on iTunes. If you're not sure how many, five is a nice round number. Thanks a lot for listening. I'm Adam Levy.